0: The future of medicine that I see is bring research into the clinical practice so we can unlock what we're learning and preventing the disease. You know, I envision seeing people come in and say, I'm healthy, my mother or father had Alzheimer's disease or stroke, how can I prevent my own problem from occurring? And, and we'll be able to do that with the tools by collecting large amounts of information from our current patients and learning about those at risk, we'll be able to predict in the future and actually have interventions to prevent the disease from ever
1: occurring. Today on 2036, the podcast, we'll be hearing from Alan Levy, a neurologist and neuroscientist internationally recognized for his work in Alzheimer's disease and related disorders. At Emory, his work is redefining how we understand neurodegenerative diseases and could lead to new methods of prevention and treatment. Emory Neuroscience student, Callan McDonald, is your guide for the conversation. Let's listen in.
2: My name is Callan McDonald. Uh, I am a senior in the college studying neuroscience, behavioral biology, and English and creative writing, Uh, and I am here today with Dr. Alan Levy. Uh, Dr. Levy is a Goizueta Foundation endowed chair for Alzheimer's disease research, director of the Brain Health Personalized Medicine Institute, director of the Goizueta Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, and professor in the Department of Neurology. Dr. Levy received a B.S. from University of Michigan and an M.D. and Ph.D. in Immunology from the University of Chicago. He then trained in neurology at Johns Hopkins and joined their faculty prior to moving to Emory in 1991. Dr. Levy is a neurologist and a neuroscientist internationally recognized for his work in neurodegenerative disease with more than 400 research publications. His work in Alzheimer's disease and related neurodegenerative disorders has contributed to understanding mechanisms involved in these conditions and translation to new therapeutic st- strategies and biomarkers. He's received numerous awards and is a member of the National Academy of Medicine. Thank you for being here, Dr. Levy.
0: Wonderful to be here. Thanks, Calen.
2: Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and get into it and start asking you about your work. So, just in general, can you tell us about your work founding an institute? Our, our new institute for personalized medicine for brain health is really the
0: culmination of an entire career in, in watching where science is evolving. You know, I was thinking about Dr. Fenvis's comments earlier about making an impact on society and, boy, do we need to have an impact when it comes to the diseases that we deal with, brain diseases. So I'm particularly interested in neurodegenerative diseases. And we still think about those, I think, the way we often think about cancer. or Some of us who are older, like myself, used to think about cancer 30, 40 years ago as the dreaded C word, you know, as the untreatable, no hope. And unfortunately, I think we still think about too many of the brain diseases like that, particularly the neurodegenerative diseases. So our institute is really the culmination of where science is heading to hopefully lead us to impacts that are really going to tell a very different story about brain diseases in the future.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I remember growing up, I always felt like I heard of neurodegenerative diseases as this uncurable, uh, impossible task. So it's really impressive to hear that we are really advancing to the point where we can address stuff like that. So, since this initiative is brand new, what are you planning to tackle first?
0: Um, We want to make an impact by starting with the diseases that are the most common and most urgently in need of treatment. You know, Alzheimer's disease currently afflicts about 6 million people. uh, Depression, 20 million people. Um, I just saw a paper a few weeks ago that 60% of people in America have neurologic symptoms of some kind right now. And we don't have enough treatments for any of these major diseases. So, the big ones, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, stroke... Um, you know, depression,
2: uh, schizophrenia, things like that. So what will the Institute look like? How would it work for, say, anybody sitting in the room right now? Well, I'm hoping it will look completely different than the
0: experience that we have when we see doctors today. Um, You know, brain science, you know, you're a neuroscience student, Callan. You understand the excitement of what's happening in the field of neuroscience. We're still at the very beginning of understanding the most complex organ in the brain. You know, it's just so fun to study it. Um, and as a physician scientist, I'm passionate about how we can take what we learn from basic science and translate that into human medicine because every day those opportunities exist. You know, what I'm, what I'm realizing is that our research programs collect a lot of information that I don't have available to me as a clinician taking care of patients, but they would be really useful. Um, what I'm hoping the future will look like, we'll leave, we will have all the information available for doctors, have a great joy of practice, and we can start predicting in ahead, ahead of time, what people are going to be at risk for major diseases, and we can preempt them. You know, the diseases that we're really concerned about, these major diseases of humans, of the brain, start decades before symptoms begin. As you know, our brains are so miraculous and they're so resilient, by the time we exhibit symptoms of a brain disease, often there's severe injury. So our opportunity, the, the future of medicine that I see, is to bring research into the clinical practice so we can unlock what we're learning and preventing the disease. You know, I envision seeing people come in and say, I'm healthy, my mother or father had Alzheimer's disease or stroke, how can I prevent my own problem from occurring? And, and we'll be able to do that with the tools by collecting large amounts of information from our current patients and learning about those at risk, we'll be able to predict in the future and actually have interventions to prevent the disease from ever occurring.
2: Yeah, the plan is to not address the disease once it's happened, but prevent it from being a problem in the first place.
0: Exactly. Our our chances are much better at being highly effective if we start earlier.
2: So what's the timeline look like for all of this? It seems like a pretty ambitious project. How long do you think something like this is going to take?
0: We are starting um, very fast. So I think we can make immediate progress as we go. Um, We already have a lot to to work from. Our research programs have been just spectacularly successful in many areas of brain science and clinical neuroscience. So we have, I think, a head start on where we wanna be. But what I really think is that we're putting in place a whole new way of doing medicine. I don't view an an endpoint to this. This is gonna be a learning process. As a a university that's meant to learn, I view our job as to make medicine a learning practice. So we're always learning, always doing better. You know, learning from every patient, teaching, Uh, the next generation how to do this because it's going to be a continuing journey. Let me ask you a question. Of course. So you're studying computers, uh, computer science, neuroscience, and English. You know, I view one of the biggest opportunities we have at Emory is given the interest in data sciences, how to take large amounts of data together and analyze it, bringing that field together with neuroscience, which is also a rapidly growing field just like data science. The real magic, I think, is going to happen at the interface. But my question to you as a student, do you agree? What do you see from your perspective coming up in this?
2: I think that uh, the answer almost to most research questions lies at like an interdisciplinary boundary. Um, I think that bringing these computational methods into neuroscience is the way that we advance that field. Um, I think the human brain is so complicated that we can only face those challenges with something as complicated as a, a machine learning algorithm or an artificial intelligence. Uh, the work that I do is really uh, focused on language evolution and even there, uh, computational methods are really the name of the game. Um, it's so hard to simulate things like language evolution that happens on such a massive time scale without looking to these really complicated algorithms. Um, so I think bringing that element of computer science, these elements of other fields into neuroscience is how we really push that forward. Uh, I was reading this neurohumanities paper recently and it just kind of was mind blowing um, how bringing neuroscience into literature and literature into neuroscience just completely redefines those fields.
0: Uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating. One of the the things that I've been impressed with, there's not a day that goes by now where we don't talk about machine learning as part of our regular vocabulary. You know, the future that I see in clinical medicine is that we're gonna have the benefits of machine learning, artificial intelligence. You know, I envision where we'll be able to have people at home doing things and I will be getting alerts about my patients because their activity has changed, their sleep has changed, their brainwaves have changed, their activity has changed. And it's going to alert, <clears throat> excuse me, alert me as their doctor, you know, years in advance that this is time to intervene. And we know that there are all sorts of interventions that are going to be protective for brain health, like good nutrition, good sleep, physical exercise. But we don't have any tools in medicine yet to use those really in a, in a I think, intelligent way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really impressive and a very 21st century way to tackle medicine, uh, having machine learning take the reins of it. Uh, I recently really almost just a couple days ago really wrapped, began to wrap my head around machine learning and what that really means. And I think it's so impressive that these computers are basically evolving in real time and how we're able to apply that to all manner of fields. It has so many wide ranging applications. Uh, neurodegener- neurodegenerative diseases seem like the the perfect field for it because that's something you have to tackle before it props up.
0: We saw 150,000 patient visits last year in the Brain Health Center alone, and we didn't learn from those 150,000 you know situations. I would like to have all that information available. I'm hoping all our patients will really be excited to partner with us as they get the best medical care possible anywhere, but also contribute to the learning of the next generation's prevention of diseases. So we really need to partner. I think a critical aspect of the success of our new initiative is going to be making sure people feel comfortable with sharing their data so we can learn from it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a concern that a lot of people have is the safety of their data.
0: You know, the human, especially the nervous system, is so complex. How do we reduce it to zeros and ones, the digits that are... Under underlying computer algorithms, basically, the digitized data. I think it's really interesting because we have really complex things and what we do um, in neurology is we observe behavior. So we're keen observers. We train our, our doctors or medical students to be observers, but we don't quantify it. It takes years of experience for all of us to understand what's a normal pattern of behavior, whether it's an eye movement, a person's walking and balance. But it turns out we can measure those things and turn those into those digits, so zero and one. So using your iPhone, you know, we can have you hold the phone, and we can detect a tremor by looking at you know, these apps that are already out there better than our highly trained doctors and the world experts at tremor. So by reducing the digits, you can accumulate more data and have a much better definition for a uh, any one incident, whether it's normal or abnormal, and most importantly, we can know what your baseline is so we can follow it over time and see if our treatments are effective. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to improve, you know, improve treatments to make them much quickly, uh, more quickly available and more effective right off the bat. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be at Emory University because it's a college. You know, I cut my teeth. I got ex- excited about medicine, excited about science as an undergrad, and I never forget that and I've gotten lessons from my mentors along the way. Give back. There's nothing more rewarding as a faculty member than to see a student get inspired, to really become passionate about really important problems and dig in. That is one of the best joys that one could ever experience as a professor. We know that our time on, on earth is short, Uh, We have a window of time where we can make an impact, and we remind ourselves all the time the biggest impact we can make is by training the next generation, because then your legacy continues. The Emory undergrads are just excellent, superb. We had one of the first neuroscience programs in the country. Our laboratories are filled with undergrads in the summer. Um, We love being involved, even in the medical school. Throughout my career, I've been a Committees for the honor students in the college who want to do research. We feel like a community, uh, you know, whether we're in the medical school or the college or some other unit of the university. And there's nothing more rewarding than to see those trainees and get contacted from them say, geez, I'm now an assistant professor at Harvard or somewhere else, because they've gone on to, you know, become successful graduate students and medical students and embarking on their own careers.
2: I might be somewhat biased, but I am very much in favor of undergrads being heavily involved in research. It's had a really big impact on me, at least personally. I felt like coming to Emory, I was really unsure of what I was going to do with my life, what I was going to study, and research really gave me the opportunity to delve deep into what it's actually like to work in a field. And I really found the field of like psychology, uh, cognitive psychology, and really managed to find my place there uh, because of research. Emory gives you so many opportunities to explore so many different things, and I feel like research really was able, where I was able to refine my interest. And I don't think I'd have the same like. Planned the same uh, course set for my life after Emory if I hadn't had the opportunity to work in these labs and actually contribute.
0: The best discoveries come from our creative students, too. I didn't tell you that. Our success is often resting on their laurels.
2: (laughs) See, that's why you major in creative writing and neuroscience, so you can bring the creativity into neuroscience. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Levy. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for joining us.
1: We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Alan Levy. You can find more stories from 2036 and dive deeper into their work at 2036.emory.edu. That's 2036.emory.edu. This podcast was developed and produced in partnership with Ideas United and Emory's Division of Advancement and Alumni Engagement. This episode was edited by Ramsey Yunt and contains music by Cymatics and Denis. I'm Munir McJani, president of the Emory Alumni Board.